I had a realization uh, this last Wednesday, right before Mass, it kind of rocked me. I realized how much I hate my college students. I think it's been a long time coming. It just finally came to the surface. It was right before Mass. I was sitting there. I was looking at the choir already prepared to sing. My five altar boys there. And uh, the, the pew's almost full with people in the middle of the week on a Wednesday night. And the thought just came to me. It will probably never be this good in the rest of my life as a priest. Having so many young people who love the faith, who actually want to talk about the truth, who want beautiful liturgy, and want everything that Christ passed down, and willing to sacrifice some of the most seductive times in their life in college for the truth of Christ. That's why I hate them. I'm not going to find many more people in my life like that surrounding me on a daily basis. But that's also, you know, I was thinking, I love my, my earthly father very much. But there's something that when he left, when I was like 12 years old, he wasn't there to teach me how to be, how to grow up in a man, to lead and protect, provide. God filled in as best he could, and I'm very grateful, but I didn't have a father there. And the biggest fear in my life as a priest is that at the end of my life, when God presents me with the souls entrusted to my care, that they'll be able to say, you were not a father to me. You didn't guide me in one way or another. Like, that's my principal motivation. You know, like, and so we're going to talk about some difficult things today, but I always want you to know that whenever we talk about anything that is hard, it's coming from a father who wants to guide you and most of all protect you and your soul from this world. And also, I want to be so good to you that every priest after me sucks, right? That's, that's my payback to you, best I can. No, I was, I was thinking about a, a homily from Pope John Paul II that he wrote uh, while he visited Fatima. And he talked about the essential message of the apparition of Our Lady in Fatima in 1917. And he said the message of Fatima is in its basic nucleus a call to conversion and repentance, just like the gospel. And this call was uttered at the beginning of the 20th century, and it was thus addressed particularly to the people of the 20th century and following. What does this imply? It implies that God saw there was going to be certain things that came up in the 20th century that was going to be a great attack on his church, on his people. And the primary thing that we would have to keep in mind and hold on to is the need to repent and convert from the false teachings of the world. And I think one of the greatest examples of this is the Samaritan woman who we just read about today. I always tell my, my guys when they're like, do you want the long form of the gospel or the short form? I'm like, always go long form. This is one of those times when I open up, I'm like, we should have gone for the short form. It's a very long gospel, but it's, it's so packed uh, with symbolism that we need to go over. And the scrutinies, by the way, the reason this is for the scrutinies is we're getting closer and closer to baptism. And the scrutinies are a time of examination for those who are going to enter into the church. And what you're doing is you're being examined of, are you really ready to leave everything to follow Christ? Do you know what you're sacrificing by saying yes to Jesus Christ coming into your life? 
And in order to have a scrutiny, you have to be precise in what it means to follow Christ and what it means to reject what is contrary to Christ. That's the only way that you can be free, all of us to be free, to make the decision to follow our Lord. So the woman at the Samaritan well, she's a, she's a perfect representation of, of this repentance we're talking about. Because the well, first off the well, the context. Jesus and this woman encounter in the middle of the day at a well. Why was it so scandalous to his apostles that he was speaking to a woman at a well? That's where you go to hook up. That was like the old bars of the Old Testament, right? Because it was the women who would go to the well. So anytime a man wanted to find a wife for himself, he knew where to look. That's why Isaac's son um, met his wife, or sorry, Abraham's son Isaac met his wife at a well. Moses met his wife at a well. And it's a, it's a strand of traditions that many men would go to the well to find their future wife because they'd be there all together drawing water. So when they saw Christ speaking to this woman by a well, it immediately signified of a bridegroom looking for his bride. And that's why the church fathers say the Samaritan woman actually represents the Catholic church. The church that had, the, the Gentiles that had fallen away to false worship and that Christ came to reveal himself as their true bridegroom, as the God that they were looking for in all the wrong places. And it's also very significant that this is happening at noon. So this woman is walking by herself to a well at the hottest time of the day. Why? Because she's shamed. She's a woman who's had five husbands and living with another man who's not her husband. And she's in a small town of Samaria. Samaria, right? Things get around. So you can imagine maybe she just felt so ashamed um, and different from all the, the women that were coming to get the water at the beginning. She didn't want to be around them. So she was ostracized by her sins, set apart. And yet Jesus Christ, knowing that, that that's when she would be coming he went there first. That's, that's how God always deals with our sins. He finds us in the very place where our sins have ostracized us. That's the mercy of God. He doesn't wait for us to become perfect. He finds us in that very place to speak to us in truth and lead us back to himself. And it's also interesting about the, the day, right? Because right before this happened, Nicodemus came to see Jesus at nighttime. The Pharisee was asking questions about what it means to follow Christ. And the whole time Christ was criticizing him because he didn't understand. And the night represents darkness, sin, and incomprehension. He meets this Samaritan woman in midday. It means clarity and grace. She was ready to receive the word of Jesus Christ. She'd experienced the lies of sin, the lies of the world, the lies of the flesh that had led her into a deserted place. She was looking for something more, someone more. And she found him right there at the well waiting for her. And the, the last thing is a dialogue. It's a long gospel because it's a lot of dialogue. But the whole time Christ was speaking to her, he was waiting for her to come to a place of truth where she could dialogue honestly about where she was at in her life, 
what she was looking for and how he was the answer. And then she had to come to the point of, am I going to leave behind what is destroying me, what is of the world, of lies, and am I going to follow you? And he offers her with that the living water. And it's, this all takes place about around water. Jean Corbon, a great course, uh, theologian, he said that the whole Old Testament is about people watering in the desert looking for water. And water in the scriptures always represents love. That which sustains us, especially in an exile where love is so hard to find, the pure love that we're all longing for. And so this dialogue around water, about Christ being able to give her water and thirsting and asking her to give her a drink, St. Teresa of Ava, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta said, Jesus thirsts that we might thirst for him. The whole time he was making himself vulnerable so that she would give to him so that he could offer her something even better. Christ always makes himself weaker for us so that Being in a place of need, we would learn to give to him and then receive. But the water that he offers her, the living water, is the Holy Spirit. The love of God poured out. And we all know that human love, it can be like water that it satiates for a moment. But if it's looked for as an end in itself, it always drips away. It cannot satisfy the human heart. Because every single one of us is made for the Holy Spirit, made for the love of God for all eternity. And when we stop living for that love, that's when we get a culture, you know, of of divorce and adultery and going from one relationship to another. Because there's only so long that human love can satisfy us. There's only so much one human being who is, we're all weak and sinful, can actually give. In the end, we're all made for that living water that Christ is offering to this Samaritan woman. And the most um, significant thing about this woman is her five husbands. She had five husbands, and the one she was with now was not her husband. Well, that's an allusion to the history of the Samaritan people. Because the Samaritans, the reason the Jews didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans, another reason it was scandalous that Christ was talking to her, was because... The Samaritans had broken off the Davidic kingdom in the Old Testament. And the king of Samaria brought in kings from all pagan parts of the empire to take over that area. And there were five primary pagan territories that the the, um, Samaritans inhabited with five different false deities. So the Samaritans had actually given up a little bit of the purity of their worship to assimilate these five other religions into themselves. So she's also a representation of those who have lost their way in the world. They're no longer in the pure worship of God. They've taken in many false ideas, false beliefs, in order to assimilate and be a part of their culture around them. They were the the butt Catholics of that time. You never want to be a butt Catholic, right? A Catholic butt, you know, I'm a, I'm a Catholic butt, I don't believe this. I'm a, I'm a Catholic butt, I think there's many two ways, many ways to salvation. I'm a Catholic butt, I don't believe in all the church's teachings on, on um, sexuality, whatever. Those are butt Catholics. You never want to be a butt Catholic. Uh, the woman at the well 
with the five men, none of whom were her husband, she represents the church before Christ came to redeem it. And now Christ, the true bridegroom of Israel, of this woman, of every one of us, is standing before her saying, I am the one whom you are looking for, the one who is speaking to you. And she has the choice to say yes to him or continue on her way. Now, the question for every one of us, especially those who are preparing for baptism and confirmation, coming into the Catholic Church, is am I ready to repent? And their, and their question is for every single one of us. Because I think in our, ter- in our times, the Catholic Church, in order especially to get along in the West, has taken on more and more assimilation of the culture and the ideas especially those contrary to the teachings of the church in order to get along. And we're seeing a divide that's growing inside the Catholic church between those who are trying to stay faithful to the unchanging teachings of Jesus Christ and those who are little by little trying to become assimilated into the culture. And so when we ask the question, are we ready to repent what Mary herself and Fatima brought forth in 1917 as a warning to our world. We have to ask, what does that actually mean to repent of? What's the battle of our time? What are the false beliefs that we really have to contend with in order to preserve our right worship of Jesus Christ? And one thing that Mary said, and I think it's in its essence, I think it's the sexual revolution. I think that's the biggest problem. That's why below the belt issues are not fun to talk about. Sometimes you can make it kind of fun in this time, but it's, it's so essential for all of us because it's staring us in the face all the time. If I told you that to be a good Catholic in good standing, you had to believe that it was not necessary to get circumcised in order to enter the church. I'm guessing none of you would have a problem with that, especially not Christopher Apple. He's very convinced of this fundamental doctrine. And yet St. Paul was almost killed over this. He was almost stoned because this was the fight of their times. And that's why all of the letters in the New Testament from St. Paul have to deal with this. That was their fight. And if we lived in the first seven centuries of the church, people were getting killed over understanding, false understandings of the nature of Christ. If I said that everyone had to know that he was a second person of the Holy Trinity and true God and true man, again, right now, not a big argument. Back then, it took 700 years of church councils to get the firm dogmas that we live by now. So every time has its own battles. Our battle now is about human sexuality and what it means to be made in the image of God as man and woman. And that's what needs to be scrutinized in every one of our hearts. Where do I stand with the church's teachings on human sexuality, especially in a culture that is only getting more blatant and visceral in its attack against our teachings? Our Lady of Fatima said that more souls go to hell because of the sins of the flesh than any other sin in the 20th century. And Sister Lucia, one of the seers who lived until the year 2004 as a, as a nun, said that the final battle between Christ and Satan would be over the family. 
and those who fought to protect the family would suffer much in our times. And I can't tell you how many families who are very open to life and striving their hardest to, to teach their children the faith, they say how much they suffer, even within their own Catholic communities, of being looked down upon for striving to retain that. So what do the sins of the flesh look like? And there, there's a universal condemnation. I want to say this because it, it's something that we all need to just have before our eyes. That the Catholic Church does teach that there can be no way in our beliefs or in our actions any approval of masturbation, pornography, sex outside of marriage, contraceptives of any kind, abortion, homosexuality, divorce, adultery. Am I missing anything? There's a lot there. But we all know that. You know, like the Samaritan woman, she knew in her heart what she was doing was wrong. But she had to come to a place of dialogue with Christ to speak to him about where she was and what he had to offer to allow those truths to come up and make that decision on where she stood. And that's where we stand in the church, Catholic church in America, especially in our times, every one of us. Where do I stand on the most fundamental issues that are at stake in our times? You know, and that number five is very significant. I just heard a talk from an exorcist. I never heard this before. But I guess Satan, just like there's hierarchy in heaven, there's hierarchy in hell. Um, and in under Satan, there's five general demons that work under him. Right? And uh, he described them as the first one is the demon ball. That's where the, uh, the demon ball were, was the first demon that um, in the Old Testament, the Jews were constantly being tempted to worship. But he's the, the demon of fornication. So separating uh, sex from marriage and procreation. And once you do that, once sex becomes about pleasure, then adultery becomes more open, right? Contraceptives becomes a great means to that end. Uh, and then what it leads to is the next demon, which two demons are Asmodeus and Leviathan. And those are the demons of homosexuality. Because once sexuality is separated from marriage and children, there's no argument on why it's okay here and it's not okay over here. So that's when homosexuality always begins to become prominent in a culture. And then the, the third demon is, a, is Lilith, which is the spirit of Eve. And it's a feminine rebellion against God and against man. It's the spirit of feminism. And I think that's because men and women especially become objectivized once sex becomes about an end in itself, right? Um, just being used over and over again by different men who never commit themselves to it. And then that's when women will start to say, well, we don't need men anymore. We can just do it on our own. There's no more mutual trust and surrender. And then the last demon, the fifth one, is Baphomet. And what's Baphomet the, the demon of? Child sacrifice. Okay. You can still see images from the Old Testament of the Jews who are being condemned for sacrificing their children to this demon, Baphomet. And that's the final culmination. Child sacrifice in order 
that I can have freedom with my sexuality. But you see the progression there. Once sex is just free outside of marriage, no longer united with childbearing, it leads to contraceptives, it leads to homosexuality, it leads to women being objectivized and then rebelling against men and feminism. And then the final end of that is the children. Child sacrifice. And that's exactly where we're at. That's what blew up in the 20th century and it's only heating up in the 21st century. And that's what we really have to stand to take Mary's words to heart of repent and convert. Where do I stand in these most fundamental issues of our faith? Jesus does not come to condemn, but to reveal and to heal. He came to find that woman in her place where sin had put her, because the devil's goal is always isolation and shame. That's what the devil wants. And I think the more we're following the, the verbiage of the world and the ideologies of the world, we're all becoming more separated and alone. And that's why shame is so much stronger in our times. Christ doesn't come to shame anyone. He comes to reveal what sin has done to us and to offer us his healing power through the Holy Spirit, through confession and the sacraments. That woman was not beyond redemption. None of us, as long as we are alive, are ever beyond redemption. And the Catholic Church in America is not beyond redemption. But we have come to a fundamental point in our life where we have to stand with Jesus Christ with his unchanging teachings, no matter what kind of pushback we get in this culture, no matter how much we have to suffer to do so, or to slowly lose our faith and be assimilated into what has just been laid out before us in a sex-deprived world with child sacrifice at its end. All we must do to turn away from the false beliefs we've espoused is to learn to espouse ourselves to Jesus Christ, the one true bridegroom of the church, of our souls, of this world, to repent and convert. And we too can experience that same joy and that same new life that the Samaritan woman experienced when Christ said to her, I am he, I am the one you are looking for. The rest is up to our response to his offer.